0: goes by the pseudonym Bo Snerdly. It's time for the Soul of Excellence. He is a radio host at 77 WABC here in New York. The Rush Hour is on the air. Rush, Rush. Now here's Bo Snerdly on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
1: And good afternoon and welcome to the Boston Nerdly Rush Hour. I'm Anthony Wiener filling in for James Golden today. I'll be with you until 5 when I hand it off the microphone to John Katsmitius for the top-rated drive time show in the region. Kats at night. A really great honor for me to be here again here at Talk Radio 77 WABC. Catch us streaming wabcradio.com or you can get the app for your phone either on Android or Apple. You can always reach out to me at repweiner on Twitter if I'm a- I think I'm still being shadow banned, or uh WABC at Gmail or Facebook. It's great to have you along. Rich on the other side, Ava taking your calls. We are here. And once again, I've got to reiterate this. This has been a really great honor for me. You know, when you do a weekend show, it's a little bit like the minor leagues, you know? Like you want to make it to the big show. You want to be on during the week. But to be on filling the vacation seat of James Golden is a really great honor. And we've had some great shows. We've been really Lucky in that we've had um, a lot of news going on, particularly for for me, because the George Santos interview that John Katzenbachidis did, I happen to be sitting in on. You know, the irony isn't lost on me—a guy who's accused of lying talking to a former congressman who resigned because he lied. That was me. Um, so we talk about this a little on the podcast to do the middle unplug. That was episode ten. It dropped today. It comes out every week. Uh, and also, if You're around on the weekend. I'd love to have you join me there, too. The middle is on from 2 to 3. Then me and Curtis Lee would do a show called Left Versus Right. This week, we're doing a prediction show on the middle. That's at 2 o'clock. So look forward to having you. We have a great show lined up. We're going to do our third installment of this week-long series that we're doing of kind of the best arguments of the year, the five of them. We've already done a couple. We did one on Twitter. We did one yesterday about the causes of inflation. And today... Uh, well, I'm going to hold off and tell you what the subject is, but we have a great guest who's going to join in the conversation around the bottom of the hour, Jonathan LeMayer, White House Bureau Chief for Politico. He covered Trump and Biden for the Associated Press and written a bestseller about politics after 2020. We're going to have him come in. I'm going to enjoy talking to him. He um, he chirps at me online because he's a big Boston Bruins fan, and for those hockey fans in the audience, you know the Bruins are just crushing it this year. Speaking of that, there's a great story in the New York Post today. One thing you'll learn about me is I get – I'm a—I'm a big hockey fan and there's a great story that I really hadn't thought about. You know, the NFL and the NBA over the Christmas season, they really see this as great opportunities to promote their products. So they go out of their way to have a lot of games going on. The NHL does something different. The National Hockey League, they have it contractually with their players. They have a three-year or maybe a four-day, but I think a three-day break. So they let their – their players go home to spend their their Christmas with their – they basically have kind like of a Christmas break like a lot of people do. And I didn't really think about this, but a lot of players in the NHL are Russian and they can't go home. And here in, in the New York metropolitan area, and for those of you hockey fans, you know this, we have in New York the Rangers and the Islanders who are not only bitter rivals. I'm a big Islander fan, but they have two goalies. think They're both 26 years old. And they're both Russian, and they're arguably the best two goalies in the NHL and therefore the best two goalies in the world. They have a great story in the post today about how they spent their Christmas. You, you know, the, the, uh, And to say the, the Rangers and the Islanders are rivals, they are rivals in ways that exceed what the Knicks and Nets are. They exceed what the Giants and Jets are. They exceed even what the Mets and the Yankees are. Um, so it's a, it's a great little kind of heartwarming story, and also it gets you thinking a little bit about, you know, right in our midst there are these Russian athletes – And um, I'm really torn about it. My dad has a position. He said that they should be thrown out of whatever the leagues that they're in for this. Alexander Ovechkin, who is now the second-highest goal scorer in the history of the NHL, he's a very well-known Putin supporter and used to appear in these Putin promotional videos. But um, there's other news also going on. There's more news around George Santos. I'm not going to get into it. Did it yesterday. All I can say is this. I'm not piling on anymore. I, I really do feel some... As we say in my faith, Rachmanis for the guy. feel some empathy for the guy because it's clear he's getting no help. And that's the thing that I'm surprised at. I don't know why Kevin McCarthy, who I I – look, he should be seated, this guy, then do whatever they're going to do with him. But if you're Kevin McCarthy, think about this. Your new majority – by the way, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Your new majority is coming in starting in January. There is no happier day in a, in a new congressman's life than when you're getting sworn in that day. Your family comes in. You sometimes bring busloads of supporters in to see it, particularly the first time. It's going to be a very joyous day for the new Republican majority, whether it's Kevin McCarthy as a speaker. is a whole other story. Wait for my prediction show. I'll tell you what I think is going to happen with that. But anyway, and what's going to happen? Every TV camera, every reporter in town is going to be running around, where's Santos, where's Santos, where's Santos? And how is that going to reflect on everyone else? You're going to have a bunch of other Republicans who are furious at this. They're going to be frustrated. Whatever message you want to get out about what the Republicans want to do is going to get buried. So why Kevin McCarthy doesn't do something to help this guy Santos at least figure out what his line is, stick to it, and then be quiet for a while? Um, But he's not doing that, and I think that's why one of the many reasons – I know Kevin McCarthy a little bit. Peter King's going to be in with John Katsubatidis later on, and he, he knows him better than I do. He's not a great leader. His leadership is not his thing, and he's going to become the speaker, so that tells you a little something. Um, also in the news, we got a question about this yesterday on the show, Tesla's nosedive as a stock comparison continues to happen. We're now it's down to one fifteen a share. That's a 68% drop year over year. And as I explained briefly to a caller yesterday, that the the, the problem is that, that you know, the brains behind the CEO behind Tesla is off doing something else and screwing it up. And so if you're someone who's an investor and you want to know what the future of the company, and the future is imperiled, not by anything they're particularly doing, but what the rest of the world is doing. Tune in to an NFL gun this weekend or any big TV event, and you'll see ad after ad after ad for electric vehicles coming from the big three auto companies. There's so much competition coming online right now this year About 61% of all the electric vehicles sold in the United States will be Teslas. It was 70 last year, and as I mentioned yesterday, in just two years, it's going to be down in the mid-20s, according to Tesla's own estimate. It might even be less than that. So that's why Tesla's in a nosedive, you know, and and that's why if I am a shareholder of Tesla, I'm like, hey, Elon, do me a favor. Stop goofing around over there at Twitter. Come back and run this company. This you know how to do. You're not terribly good at running a social media company. It's a little bit outside your lane. And a little bit closer to home, you heard Noam Layton talk about it in the news. The first legal marijuana shop here in New York is going to be open in my my neighborhood. I live in the East Village. They're going to open in the East Village on St. Mark's Place. I've got real concerns about this. I really do. I you know, I did a whole episode about this on the middle because I think I get some of my progressive friends what they're talking about. I get some of my conservative libertarian friends what they're talking about, how you know that the that we should legalize this tax it have standards and everything else, but I mean a couple of things one what it you know we're we're treating this like it's a consumer product anyone can can walk in and get if you're over eighteen, but we're not giving people any kind of education about how, you know if you're unfamiliar with how to you know what well, to use this I mean I'm not a drug person, I've struggled with addiction, I lost a brother to addiction. We don't know very much about the addictive qualities of these things, we don't know how to measure whether someone's impaired when they're using these things. You've got all kinds of have shops that have popped up that are selling marijuana that don't seem to be regulated. I've got real concerns about it. But this horse has left the barn now. I think we're the forty first state that has some form of legalization. New Jersey has it. I mean, we'll see. I hate for this to be one of those things that years from now, like we're like, oh boy, we goofed up. We should have we should have paid more attention before we just flooded the market with what is essentially oh, it's a drug. I don't know how else to put it. But um, I want to get a little into our issue um, that I want to talk about today. This is part of a regular series that we are calling the um, the arguments of the the arguments of the year, the 2022 issues of the year, um, and this is one of this is this today's issue in review.
0: This is 2022 in review.
1: So every day, every day this week, we're taking one issue, and the, the way I'm looking at them is one big arguments we had over the course of the year. I told you we did uh, Hunter, and we did you know Twitter on Monday and Tuesday. We did a thing about inflation. What's the real you know the real cost of it? I mean, the real source of it. And today I'm going to do a subject that I had actually, when I started on the radio back earlier this year, I said I wasn't going to talk about. And that is the year in Donald Trump. And the reason I chose this issue is that we have this strange thing that's going on. Um, And the reason I I should say, why didn't I want to mention it? Because I think that many on the left, many people who would agree, you know, kind of say they're Democrats or independents, have Trump derangement syndrome. Anytime you mention anything about Trump, they just get crazy. And then on the right, I was like, look, there's going to be a new president. There's a new crop of Republicans coming up. There's no real reason to keep litigating, litigating, litigating stuff that happened in the past. And so I kind of said to myself, okay, just to kind of make this a program that the middle feels comfortable in, I was going to. Not talk about it very much. But then this election this year, this midterm election, seemed to kind of change everything. You know, suddenly you have many institutional Republicans, including hosts on this station, who kind of say it's time to move on. It's time to go to someone else. And what they do is they say, look, 2017, under President Trump— We lost seats in 2017. 2018, under President Trump, the Democrats swept into Congress and, you know, with record margins. 2020, well, obviously in 2020, he lost the election. And then in 2022, a lot of the candidates that endorsed his position lost the election. Carol Lake just yesterday, you know, exhausted her last court case, one of the last election deniers. You know, they basically all lost. But the reason I think this is an issue that there's some middle ground on, is that what we have seen all along is that Republican leaders and press leaders and media types leave Donald Trump for dead, and there's really not a heck of a lot of new information. Donald Trump has been denying the election since 2016, you know, going all the way back to before he ran against Hillary. Um, some of the, 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 his base is still the base of the Republican Party, and I'll give you some evidence of that. You know there was a poll done recently by an organization called Morning Consult, a big poll, two thousand people they did, and I will read you from the bottom up and see. You'll see if I left anyone off. And if you want to get on the board and talk about this, eight hundred eight four eight WABC, 800-848-9222. And we're going to have um, Jonathan Lamar of the Associated Press, the the and when Politico and MSNBC and a book, an author about this stuff. He's going to come talk about this as well because he has the finger on the pulse. Um, but it, it, the, here's the polling results. Uh, Young- Youngkin got zero percent. Scott of um, South Carolina, one percent. Pompeo, one percent. Noem of North Dakota South South Dakota, I think, one percent. Abbott of Texas, two one percent. Cheney of Wyoming, two percent. Haley, two percent. Cruz, three percent. Pence, former Vice President, eight percent. Then. You've got DeSantis at 33 and Trump at 48. Now, the reason I read that long list of names is one, I'm interested if anyone's going to call up and say I'd rather have one of those guys than Donald Trump. But two, let's assume half those people get in the race and you have a primary. Then it turns into what basically 2015 and 16 was, where it's basically Trump and the five dwarves or the six dwarves or the seven dwarves. It's basically 2016 again. I think he's going to be the nominee. And by the way, Since he's going to be the nominee, America, you're going to get Joe Biden being our nominee, being the Democrats' nominee. And the irony is the one thing that Democrats and Republicans both agree on, they don't want either of those guys to be their nominees. 60 percent in the same poll said they didn't want Trump to run, uh, including—60 percent of Republicans said they didn't want Trump to run. It uh, was—and 57 percent of Democrats— said that they didn't want Biden to run. Actually, I saw a poll that said even more. 70% didn't want Biden to run. But the one thing that Joe Biden can say is, hey, love me or hate me, I'm the one guy that's shown that they've been able to beat Donald Trump. So the issue for today is, like, is this really the one thing that Democrats and Republicans kind of have in common, that they don't like their standard bearers? But more importantly for me, as someone, you know, I'm kind of, a, you know, look, I'm I'm a Democrat. But I am not an AOC kind of Democrat. And I when I ran for mayor, I kind of ran as a centrist when I ran when I was a congressman. I represented places like Glendale and Rockaway and Middle Village, some of the most conservative Sheepshead Bay, some of the most conservative parts of New York City. And I just don't believe the hype here. 80 eight four eight WABC, 800 848 9222 We're talking about Donald Trump, it's Anthony Weiner in for James Golden. I just don't believe the hype here that suddenly the media elite, Mitch McConnell, the leaders of the party, are like, okay, we're done. We're moving on from Donald Trump. Even people here, you know, Bo uh, Bodito, Sid, people seem like they're moving on a bit too fast. He is going to be the nominee, I think. Now, I don't know. Maybe maybe our guests that we're going to have on at the bottom of the hour will disagree. He's got his more of a finger on the pulse, obviously, than I do. And another reason... Another reason I think that that's going to wind up happening is that as much as people say, I'm troubled with Trump this year, he's been a distraction, the election interference thing turned out to be a bad strategy, et cetera, et cetera, election denial was a bad strategy, he's coming, becoming a distraction. As much as people complain about that in the Republican Party, I keep waiting with my ears perked up for people to say, I'm not going to vote for him. And when I take calls on the middle on the weekend on my own show, and I hear from people, he's got a support us on the weekend now. Sometimes people call to say, oh, I like DeSantis. And then when they'll rave about DeSantis, I will say to them, oh, so you're going to vote for DeSantis over Trump in a primary? And you can hear the pause. You can hear them not. So I think one thing we have learned about Donald Trump is that— when the intellectual and political and media elite seem like they line up against him, the Republican Party at least, and a lot of independents also, um, take kind of Trump's side. He knows how to play that angle. He knows how to play that dynamic. And anyone who challenges him in the Republican primary, I think, is going to have a tough time. And before we go to the break, let me make one other very brief point. And that is... I am fine with political hypocrisy in as much as people say I've changed my mind about Donald Trump. I'm going to vote for someone else. I don't like political hypocrisy when it's, oh, Trump is a bum. He cost us the election, but I'm going to vote for him anyway. That's – that I, I can't – people live and learn in politics and in life. But today we're talking about whether or not he should not ultimately be the nominee. I believe he has earned the right to be the nominee. So we're going to go to a break, 800-848-WABC. I want to hear what you have to say. I am certainly not the best barometer of the Republican base, the callers to James Golden Show. I'm Anthony Weiner. I really appreciate having you along, and we'll see you on the other side. The
0: Rush Hour is on the air. Attention, Ditto Heads. Attention, Bo Scouts. Rush. On the Red Apple Podcast Network.
2: We're calling the trap I can't walk out Because I love
3: you too much, baby
1: And welcome back to the Boats in Early Rush Hour. It's Anthony Weiner filling in for James see? Golden, the dulcet tones of Roland Gift believe? of the Fine Young Cannibals with that great iconic song. In case you're wondering who that was. Said, yeah. So we're talking about Donald Trump. It's our issue wrap-up of the year. You know, where do we stand with him? Where does the Republican base stand with him? We're going to have an interview at the bottom of the hour, a conversation with someone who who literally wrote a book about this called The Big Lie, um, Election Chaos, Political Opportunism in the State of American Politics after 2020. He worked at AP. Jonathan LaMere worked at AP and other places. Also, he works on MSNBC. I'm going to ask him what that's about. That's unwatchable. (laughs) Don't tell him. No, it's not that bad. I'm just kidding. Um, but let's go to some calls, because, you know, as I said, I'm the, I am not the person to tell you what the Republican base thinks. Um, if James Golden were here, he'd be able to tell you, but I certainly can't. So let me get the important pit players of this radio station on the air so they can talk a little bit about it. Um, first, let's go to Mike in Pennsylvania. Mike, welcome aboard.
3: How are you doing? Um, you know, when Trump won the first time, and I said to people, he's going to win it because he was like uh, Jerry Springer Show. And that's how people were brought up. That's how you're supposed to yell at people and all. Then came along uh, Biden, and Biden, he did his yelling, and he also did his pointing. He would hit people in the chest with his finger, talking about how tough he was and all, you know, which was very do Like with Trump, to chase him, DeSantis ain't going to be the guy. Alan West or Kelsey Gibbett will be the ones to chase Trump because— they got class, and and you're not gonna you're not gonna beat out on, you know, when somebody's got class, and they're not acting like a tough guy, but they came up they come up with the answers. And what's Trump gonna say to him? You know, DeSantis, yeah, he's got a good shot too because he was a Navy SEAL and all. What is Trump gonna say about anything when he wasn't even in the military? Yeah, but I gotta you know say, and
1: I appreciate it, Mike. That's some good prognosticating. The the what I urge people to listen to as they listen to these of their, their colleagues calling in, is is anything different than it was in 16 and 20? He's the same popular guy that he was for all of those same reasons. This is my concern. The things that people say, oh, I won't vote for Donald Trump because what's he going to say? He finds out stuff to say. He's a good candidate. I mean, it's, 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 it's inescapable that he is. Let's go to Richard in the Bronx. Welcome to the Rush Hour, Richard. Yes, hello, Anthony.
3: What well, I wanted to mention is the am un- a repeat match between Biden and Trump. What you might have this time is uh, more people, more Republicans, that is, voting uh, by mail or early voting, which you didn't have. And if you notice a few states where he might have lost a total of something like 40,000 votes combined, so there may be a chance he could get reelected, plus Biden is running on his record.
1: So there's a difference. Yeah, no, that's an excellent – Richard makes an excellent point that often gets overlooked. Great call. Is that part of what Donald Trump did by starting so early to say, you know, this is rigged, this is rigged, he discouraged Republicans, his own voters from coming out. Remember, I think you guys – you guys might forget this. In the Georgia election that happened, the runoffs that happened, not this year but right after the 2020 election, right after the 2020 – yeah, right after the 2020 election – Donald Trump was saying don't trust the mail-in ballots and that's how Democrats won. So that's an excellent point that – now, is Donald Trump going to change his view and start saying no, 2020 was not – it was not a a fix, not a fraud and and suddenly change his tune on that? Maybe he will. I mean he did – when he made his announcement at Mar-a-Lago that he was running for – running again in 2024, he didn't mention 2020 at all. So it shows me he's getting the message. So that's an excellent point. If Republicans kind of adapt to the way that voting is happening um, in Democrat and Republican states, uh, it might be a different outcome this time. Um, next, let's go to Rob in Garden
3: City. Rob, go ahead, pal. Yeah, how are you? Good show. Um, I think um, a lot has changed uh, since Trump la- uh, since he last ran, first of all. He caused uh, the insurrection. Uh, we know that uh, he, his, uh, his taxes are a sham. He paid less taxes than, you know, than uh, steel workers and coal miners. Uh, the fact that his, uh, the people that he supported in the uh, midterms did, did, did poor because they also were election deniers. I don't see how he would be the front runner. What but, do you Rob, say? Rob,
1: let me interrupt you on that point. Everything that you said, didn't pay taxes, election denial, the people that he endorsed didn't win. These are all things that have been true in 2017, 2018, 2020. The, I guess the point I'm making is that the Republican base seems to already know all of this so-called new information about Donald Trump, and they have shown no sign that they're going to they're gonna give up the goat. I mean, but you know, Rob made a good, pretty good list. But what I think often happens is the media elite, and I guess I have to count myself among them now since I'm on the most powerful radio station in the nation. Maybe I'm the media elite. But the media elite keeps saying, oh, everything's different now. They're abandoning Trump. The Trump era is over. I don't know, man. It seems to me that a lot of the same talking points anti-Trump – I mean, now, this is from someone who's not voting for him. My right arm will fall off before I vote for Donald Trump. But – the guy is undeniably the candidate of the base of the Republican Party that votes in primaries. So that makes him the nominee. And once you're the nominee in a 50-50 country, hey, anything can happen. Anything can happen. Um, let's go to uh, let's go to Dino in New Jersey. Dino, thank you for joining us on the, on the Rush Hour.
3: Anthony, how are you doing? You know, you, I'm the guy who used to hate you, but now I like you. You, know <laughs> you and me, I like you too,
1: Dino. Thanks for calling in again. <laughs>
3: All right, listen. We have to understand something. The, the elections are not right in this country. There's no, way, no other country in the world do they mail in ballots. No other country in the world do they take three weeks to account the elections. Uh, George, you said Georgia. That was a good election. They counted it the same day. Herschel Walker, the Republicans lost, but I, I agree. That's a, that, that was a true election. If there's no confidence in our election, how are we going to go as a country? This, you know, and you hear Republicans, uh, someone who's talking point saying, "Oh, let's do what the Democrats do. We'll do the harvest harvesting. We'll uh, mail in ballots. We'll steal the election. We'll be better thieves than they are." No, that's not what we got to do. You got to do it the right like way. We used to so many years. You're you're my age. Did you, have you ever seen this the, the shenanigans before to take three weeks to count in a
1: election? What do you tell you, first of all? Dino, you know, I love you, brother. But let's face it, mail-in ballots have been around for, for 90 years. We, the military mails in their ballots, senior citizens mail-in their ballots, people in hospitals mail-in their ballots, people who can't get to the polls. They're traveling. They are mailing their ballots. We've been mailing in ballots forever. The only reason this came up as an issue is Donald Trump caused everyone to be so suspicious about it. And by the way... You know what mail-in ballots are? Mail-in ballots are paper ballots that you can actually look at and count. No electronic fidgety bits or whatever. Like you actually have something, you can, you can be there and you can count. Who cares if it takes 48 hours or 72 hours or whatever it is or a week? And by the way, do you know why it takes that long? Because it's the state legislatures in different states that say, hey, we want to leave an extra seven days for our military ballots to come in. We want to leave an extra time for someone who mailed a ballot in Alaska. You know Alaska? I think it's like two weeks because it takes forever to get from your house to your local mailbox. They don't have polling places, everything. And there are whole states that do mail-in and this idea that other countries don't do it. There are countries that do entire balloting on uh, um, um, by mail. You know what they do in India? In India, where no one – there's such a high illiteracy rate, they have these little machines that they walk around with just the symbol of the candidate on it because no one can read. These little portable machines. And they go in. They walk out into the fields and people click on them and they go back and they – yeah, I had this whole idea. This – we never had – Dino made the excellent way to conclude his call. He says, how come it's not the way it was when we were years ago? This is the way it was. <laughs> We've had mail-in ballots forever. That's not the problem. The problem is one side is making this ridiculous analysis. Let's go raise suspicions about the polling place, about the polling and about elections because that'll make our base stay home. Why do that? That's a, that's not, I mean, listen, it's a dumb strategy. And when we come back, we're going to have a conversation about Donald Trump, but more importantly about, you know, someone who really does represent the media elite, um, a very interesting guy, good friend. Guy Jonathan Lemaire, it's great to have you along, 800-848-WABC. We'll see you on the other side. Uno. He's your numero uno.
2: This is
0: The Rush Hour with Bo nerdley on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
1: And welcome back. This is Anthony Wiener filling in for James Gold on the Bo Snortley Rush Hour. That is The Clash bringing us in with one of the, I think, 840 different versions of I Fought the Law. And I don't know if he's... I don't know if Rich is playing that for Donald Trump or playing it for me. It could be either, either one of us. So we're talking about Donald Trump and are we... kind of our year in review. And this has been an interesting year for Donald Trump. You might have... You might have said that his... His star was maybe even rising coming into the year. He did a good job endorsing candidates leading into the Senate, the Senate races and the midterm elections. But we have someone who's joining us today who kind of covered this and has written an amazing book called The Big Lie. Jonathan Lemare is uh, the host of MSNBC's Way Too Early. Um, but he is also the Washington Bureau chief at Politico and worked at AP for quite some time when it covered Trump and Biden. And, Jonathan, welcome to Bo- the Boston Early Rush Hour.
0: Anthony, great to be
1: here. Um, now, let's, we should clear the decks, and I think I might have lost a bet to you at some point that makes me say this, but, the boy, the Bruins look good, man. The
0: Bruins look really good. I'm not going to celebrate too much here. It's not even the first of the year. Uh, but they are on near record-setting pace at this point. Uh, they've, all, I believe, undefeated at home. Maybe just lost the one. Uh, they've been great. It's a core that's uh, been there for a few years. Pasternak is one of the best goal scorers in the league, and the goaltending—a subject amazing. I know you care, care quite a bit about—has been fantastic.
1: Yeah, but you it. know, you know who, who the cog might be, and I don't want to bore our listeners. They hear me talk about hockey too much. David Krejci is a valuable player, man, and having him oh, back very is amazing. Yeah,
0: yeah, he's he's made a real difference. But they're a deep team. They go a couple of different lines. Uh, There's some thought this might be Patrice Bergeron, the captain, his final season. At least so far, they would be sending out a great note.
1: Great. Thanks for joining us for the sports report, Jonathan. We'll, uh, We'll catch you next time. Actually, so we're talking a little bit about this notion that Donald Trump has now fallen out of favor. Some of the hosts here on conservative radio have kind of said maybe it's time we move on from him. And I guess what I'm trying to get at, and some of our listeners are weighing in on this, is... You know, I have seen this movie before. I mean, where we have this okay, there's been a sea change around Donald Trump, and your book, which is a fascinating look. And I should just say for our listeners, it doesn't tisk tisk at Trump supporters. It ta- you know, it it, it it takes a hard look at just what happened leading up to 2020, and takes us to just about the midterm elections of this year. And it's a, it's a great and interesting read. And there's a lot of stuff in there that I didn't know. But based on on the stuff that you've observed and still being there every day covering this, why should we believe that this downtick for Donald Trump is any different than the downtick after the Holly the Access Hollywood or any other uh, any other ebb that we thought he had hit?
0: Well, first of all, thank you for the kind words on the book. But you're right. Uh, it would be premature to count out Donald Trump just yet. He is political obituary has been written several times in the past. And you mentioned one of them right there after the release of the access hollywood tape when a lot of republicans finally said okay enough is enough we're going to turn our back on him he was able to rally i think it's fair to say this is the lowest moment he has been politically since the morning of january 7th 2021 after uh, the insurrection but we know that he bounced back even from that a few weeks later kevin mccarthy made his pilgrimage to mar-a-lago trump managed to work his way back in the good graces of many republicans and for most of 2021, and this year, polled very well with them. He has taken some blows here, no doubt. If We just recap the last month since he announced his candidacy for 2024. uh, He had dinner with a white supremacist. He suggested terminating the Constitution. Uh, His legal peril has only increased on a variety of fronts, uh, a number of investigations. Uh, He put out some NFTs that didn't go over really well. And most importantly, he is being held responsible for Republicans faring so poorly during this year's midterms, not nearly as well as anticipated. So yeah, polls suggest that he's taken a hit among Republicans, but he's still the most popular figure among a lot of them. And as we start thinking about this next presidential race, it remains to be seen who actually will challenge him and who could beat him within the GOP.
1: Right. And isn't there almost, isn't it almost a force of gravity at this point that institutional Republicans and media types conti- constantly are underestimating the the hold that he has over his base. I'm, I'm going to read just for, from a very brief section of your book. There are some Republicans who wish he would stop litigating 2020 and focus on the future, but they remain largely silent. The big lie wasn't going to hurt Trump's chances at the presidency among Republicans – It might only enhance them. The party remained his. Now, this was written – before your book takes us up to the midterms and maybe some things have changed. But there seems to be almost a structural thing going on in politics that people like you and people like me and people like Mitch McConnell continually misunderstand his base. And his base is loyal to him through thick and thin. And I think I would admit this is thin or thick. I don't know which side of that this goes. But – it does seem to me like we constantly get it wrong because we are not someone he's ever spoken to.
0: That part of it is right. And I know for me, and the book is in, informed so much by the time I spent on the road covering the Trump campaign, both in 2016 and again in 2020, that led me to night after night talking to members of his base and his supporters and trying to understand the hold that he has on them, the appeal. Uh, that he has. And and that's where we are, that he has, he may have indeed have a ceiling of support. That's what establishment Republicans are worried about, that, that Trump can't win. He didn't win in 2020. He wouldn't be able to win in 24. But he also has a pretty high floor as these things go. There's 30, 35 percent, 40 percent of Republicans who are going to be with him no matter what, who have not been faced by any of the, the, the challenges in his presidency or since then, or even the, this most recent midterm elections, they still would be with him. And I think there is a sense among Republicans, those who are eager to turn the page on Trump, that the more candidates that get into this race, if it becomes a multi candidate race that, that divides the field, that's only good for Trump. Yeah, the I think it's not going anywhere.
1: Yeah, I, I read the Morning Council, that big poll that they did in the middle of December, which kind of put everyone on the ballot. And and, you know, I, I, it's it's evocative of 2016. The more people on the yep. stage, the bigger he winds up looking. Is the specter of Donald Trump still looming out there actually good for Joe Biden?
0: The White House believes it is, yes. Uh, they 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 like that contrast quite a bit. Uh, the president, you know, he's not officially committed to running for reelection, but certainly all signs point to him doing so. People closest to him say, look, no final decision has made just yet, but we're preparing as if he will. Um, And the argument, part of the theory of the case for a Biden second term, a a re-election bid, is that he's the one candidate who beat Trump before and he can again. They like that contrast quite a bit. And they have a hard time imagining beyond Trump's base, uh, you know, independent voters, swing voters, suddenly looking at Trump and saying, you know, I didn't vote for him in 20, but I will in 24. That's a—they that's a, don't see too many of those voters out there. They're more concerned, perhaps, uh, if, if Trump were to eventually bow out or be defeated, and then Biden would have to face up against right. another different Republican.
1: Right. This is Anthony Weiner filling in for James Golden. We're talking to Jonathan LaMere, the, the author of The Big Lie, associated—no, he's no longer Politico, White House bureau chief, also an MSNBC— uh, Uh, host. I'm leaving that part to the end, knowing what my listeners think about MSNBC, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, because I have a specific question about that. But let me ask you a little bit. You know, your book is a perfect kind of introduction to the January 6th hearing report. It kind of you, You actually got a lot of the stuff that it took them months and dramatic hearings to get. A lot of it you lay out. You lay out, in fact, that you know you found moment zero of the talk about this being a fraudulent election in August of two thousand and sixteen, and the very interesting where your book jumps off from. But let me ask you what you think we're experiencing now i mean there's two views: one is the Trump period and the impeachments and the January sixth stuff. It showed us how fragile our democracy is, and another voice that I have heard increasingly loud since the success of Democrats in the midterms is, you know, this was like a stress test that we passed. We've seen the worst possible scenario, an armed insurrection, a president who wouldn't, you know, wouldn't accept the results. And here we are, we're still standing, the voters spoke, and they basically rejected people who took that view. Where do you stand on the continuum between, you know, oh my goodness, this is the end of democracies, we know it, and hey, we're doing just great?
0: I think my own vantage point would be somewhere in the middle where, uh, By the way, Jonathan, that's
1: that's the name of my Saturday show. So well done with the product placement. Yes, go, yes, go ahead. I do what I do. <laughs> what I can.
0: Uh, I uh, I think institutions did hold. The democracy held, but barely. Uh, and I think that it, the book outlines just how close we came uh, to to things going a different direction. The, the, the January Sixth Committee uh, has done the same in their series of hearings and the report um, that just came out a couple of days ago. And I think that. It would be foolish to suggest that the danger has passed. Um, I think that whether it be from Donald Trump uh, himself in 24 or another candidate down the road um, who we don't know yet, uh, I think that there were some vulnerabilities in the system that were exposed, and yes, some perhaps are being corrected, others not. And I think it was also we see writ large issues with society and and media and 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 social media and how easy it is to be in your own silos now and not even talk to people uh, who disagree with you, and it's so easy to vilify them. There are real challenges uh, facing uh, this democracy, uh, and you know we as citizens, the media, uh, all have to do our part.
1: Yeah, you know you, that's a perfect lead up to the final thing I want to talk to you about. And again, I really do appreciate you taking so much time with us. So you were an you were, you covered the the Biden and Trump White Houses for the Associated Press, about as, as down the middle a news organization as there is. Politico, the same way you're the White House bureau chief. MSNBC is perceived to be the voice of the left. Fox News is perceived to be the voice of the right. I don't think that anyone can really argue that that perception is not correct. Are we in a situation now that that kind of bifurcation of the media, while it might be good business, and I'm sitting to you as a fairly progressive guy at a conservative station, that that kind of bifurcation of the the information business is leading to a certain amount of, of just inability for Americans to trust anything they're hearing because everything is getting siloed?
0: I think that is part of it. I think there's the... The polarization of the media and also the ability now, though the Internet and social media is, is a democratic place and there are so many good things that have come of it, they're dangerous, too. And it is. And, and, and the book gets into this a little bit, um, but it's so easy now uh, to fall down rabbit holes, to to not trust anyone in the media to, you know, who disagrees with you, to only listen to whether it's a, a cable TV pundit or a r- radio host or Someone online, only listen to those you agree with. Find the YouTube channel uh, that, that, that you check the most boxes with. And to not even be exposed to people who have a different point of view, to only move with fellow like-minded travelers, those are those are dangers. That's how conspiracy theories spread. Um, there's a lack of trust right now in a lot of American institutions, government, yes, media, yes. Um, I, I don't know how that gets repaired but it only seems like it is getting getting worse and i do think for any democracy including this one uh, that's a real danger
1: yeah i, I just have to say and, and and i think that your early show is a little bit different you guys do a lot of, you know you do a lot more straight news your people are getting up they're trying to figure out what's going on in the day and i think it's it's a it's a good show i don't know how you do it in the middle of the morning the way you do it but i <laughs> i do think that one of the things and not one of the things that I try to do is I am constantly mindful here of the fact that I'm a, a fairly progressive voice and a conservative radio station, and it keeps me honest to some degree. I wonder if people at MSNBC don't just see their audiences being all left, and so they talk in a certain way about the issues. And people at Fox who know, think their audience is all right, they talk about it in a certain way, and it just gets us further and further a, um, apart from one another. I, 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 think that, I think there's a reason why there's mistrust of the media, and, and I, I think that it's somewhat well-founded.
0: Yeah, well, certainly my show. We it's a straight newscast. It is, as you mentioned, way too early, five in the morning for you early risers out there. Uh, but we play it down the middle. It, it is simply this is what happened, and, and indeed, because for a lot of folks, they're getting up, they've only got a few minutes. Whether you know these are. You, whether getting ready for work, heading to the gym, getting the kids ready for school, whatever it might be, and only have time to okay, what's going on? Tell me what's important, and that's what we uh, that's what we aim to do. But taking a step back and just looking at the larger picture, yeah, I think that that there is an element of of the media that has perhaps rightly, uh, you know, found uh, you know to, to to do better job of, of earning the readers or reviewers' trust. And of course, it's also Anthony. I know you you care about this. The the. The, the lack of the loss and in, in the uh, in local media, those local right. newspapers that are so important, uh, the big cities and small towns alike, um, to, to keep an eye on what's going on, and we're losing those by the day, and that is a real problem. Yeah,
1: that's all. that's a, that's a great point to finish on. I think that. Maybe a George Santos doesn't happen if we still had a vigorous local media and the Newsday was still had the, the, the newsroom that it did. Well, I really want to thank you, Jonathan Lemire, the, the host of, of Way Too Early and also the author of a New York Times bestseller, The Big Lie. Um, he's going to go directly from here to the Prudential Center where the Devils are playing his Boston Bruins. I know you're probably not. You That's probably something you don't get to do anymore, stay up watching hockey games anymore, huh?
0: I, I got to a Devil's Game actually just a, a little while ago, but uh, tonight I'm going to watch First Cup Periods on TV, but then I will have to go to bed. Fair no Bruins. I'm we really
1: we really appreciate your being along with us. This is Anthony Wiener filling in for James Golden. You, the listeners, get the final word on the other side of the break.
0: Rush. It's the Rush Hour with Bo Snurdley on the Red Apple Podcast Network.
1: welcome back this is Anthony Wiener filling in for James Gold on the Boston early rush hour every day from four to five cats at night at five o'clock hope you stick around for that he always has a great news making show this week with all the controversy about George Santos the very first interview that George Santos gave was to John Katsumatidis and um, we do news we do views we do sports we do music on the weekends tune into my show the middle two to three on Saturday we're doing a special prediction show I'm going to make my predictions we're going to have the listeners make theirs and we're talking today about Donald Trump and the year of Trump. Is he up? Is he down? And the consensus seems to be we don't know. We do know that some insiders in D.C. want him to be down, but it's not clear that that is the um, the situation. Let's go to Joel in Manhattan. Go ahead, Joel.
2: Hi, Anthony. Um, a couple things. First off, I want to say thank you. For a couple years back, uh, I went to the uh, show... At uh, Central Park, the um, Shakespeare in the Park, and you gave me a ticket with a friend. So thank you very much oh, for no that. No
1: kidding, I, I remember that, but I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm glad I was able to help out. So what what do you think about the about Donald Trump this year?
2: Okay, well here's my take. Um, he has, I mean, all right, he has, you know, some soiling going on, so to speak, uh, but nothing has stuck to him yet. I mean. Yeah, they're going to go after him with January 6th or continue to do all that. But let's see how it all plays out. And that's part of it. So far, he hasn't gone down for anything. And what it amounts to is the evidence hasn't been strong enough to convict him on anything.
1: But, Joe, let me ask you a question, but we're asking a different question. Yeah, I mean, I think it looming out there is the idea he might be in trouble with the law. I'm asking about whether you think, as we sit here today— He's His position within the Republican Party is any weaker or stronger than it has always been, which is pretty strong.
2: I think it's strong. I mean, I, I speak to some relatives that I know voted for Trump. And uh, I think that it – I think, by and large, within the Republican Party, you're going to find that 95 percent of the people – who are going to vote for Republican are going to vote for Trump. Probably that high if he is the uh, who, the man who wins out in the primaries. Period. Uh, and it may even be higher than that. I really don't think it's going to affect it that much. Yeah. Because my there is an echo chamber that you you're speaking about earlier about how the left only hears the left and the right only hears the right and i really like your the name of your show man in the middle or whatever you call it the, the the place in the middle but it's that's what we need in this country is is this middle ground and unfortunately I don't think it's going to come back because there's been such a polarization recently. I think it'll take another election cycle before we really hit the middle. Well, well, I I, I appreciate it. it. I I think
1: think you're right, Joel, and I appreciate the call. I think that's probably exactly what's going to happen uh, in terms of the timing of it. Uh, Glenn and Edison, go ahead, Glenn.
2: Uh, How did did Joe Biden get 15 more million votes than uh, Barack Obama?
1: You mean six and a half million more votes?
2: No, Barack Obama got sixty-six million.
1: No, he got eighty-two. And, uh, he got eighty-one point two. Go ahead. got eighty-one. No, I'm sorry, I got the number wrong. Eighty-one point two was Biden. Seventy-four point two was. Let me just check was this. Trump? No, seventy-four was. Um, was uh exceeded Mr. Obama's record. say so, yeah, it goes up about five or six million each four years.
2: Yeah, but he never even campaigned. He was hiding in his basement. No,
1: no, but it was the most partisan. Everyone, I mean, the election had such high interest. It was one of the highest turnout. I think it's the third highest turnout election in American history. You forget 2020? We were like, I mean, people were at, like, every, every time you, you went to a corner coffee shop, someone was talking about the election. It was the most highly anticipated election imaginable. Plus, the turnout was higher because everyone was. it was easier for everyone to vote. But we go up about three or four million every four years. I mean, I remember John Kerry was the highest we and anyone any Democrat ever got. It was like fifty million, and now it's like we're at eighty-one million. We're we're gaining population. We're gaining population. So I mean, look, this is an interesting question. We're going to have another. One. So the the next two issues we're going to do in this subject, I'm going to do immigration, Title Forty Two. Yesterday, I didn't get a chance to touch on it today. We're going to do that. And we're going to try to do crime, I think. The only question is which we're going to do what day. I really want to tell you how grateful I am. I'm grateful to James Golden for giving me the chance to sit in for him. I'm going to be back for the rest of the week, I think then, on Monday and Tuesday. Um, this is a great honor for me. I really appreciate how the kindness that so many listeners have, have. I want to thank Rich and Ava for helping out. And I also want to say, you've heard me say this before, you know, um, You can be happy, you can be grateful, but gratitude makes me happy, and I'm very grateful for all of you. I hope you have lots to be grateful for. Stick around. It's Cats at Night coming up next. James Golden, known popularly as Bo Snurdly. This is
3: The Rush Hour with Bo Snurdly. Rush on the Red Apple Podcast Network.